0: Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody's looking very colorful and flamboyant. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to share the word of God this morning. And uh, it's amazing what the Lord is doing in our midst. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes and pray in the Spirit for a minute. And pray in the spirit for a minute. Masmandikishmandala masombre digiba fatambala bashenta. Oh, Jesus, Mando comarabas shintaliata. Libra contumbreveshi branda gabarabas sombre digish. Forever enough. I don't know why the song is still ringing in my spirit. (laughs) Forever enough. Always, you know. Modern enough. Oh.
1: Forever enough, always enough,
0: you will more than
1: enough. Forever, enough. forever enough, always enough, you will more than enough. Forever enough, Say, forever enough. always enough, you will more than enough. You're you know, forever in, 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 enough. In,
0: when you read some from Psalm 125. The Bible calls titles those group of psalms the song of degrees or the songs of ascent. Those were songs that they sang whilst they climbed and ascended to the temple. When they moved from the from the quarters of the woman into the quarters of the Israelites, there were 15 steps, and so there are 15 chapters. Once they step on one, they sing one, they step on one, and they are ascending. So songs are mediums and channels by which we just ascend, we just arise. So when you are singing songs like this, you are just lifting yourself up. You are lifting yourself up from any place of lack, uh, scarcity, to that place where God is more than enough. Where God is more than enough.
1: Forever enough. Forever enough. Always enough. She will more than enough. You're forever enough. Say forever. Always enough. More than enough. You're forever enough. Always enough. More than enough. Forever enough, yeah. Forever enough. Always enough. You are more than enough in any situation. Forever enough. Always enough. You are more than enough in any situation. You're forever enough. Always enough. You are more than enough. Jesus, you are forever enough. Always oh, enough. You are more than enough. You're forever enough. Forever enough. You are more oh, than enough. enough. You are more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you are more than enough.
0: God is more than enough. Amen. He's more than enough. He's our sufficiency. You know, there's different forms of government as as we know it. If you've done a little bit of government, you realize that there are different forms of government. There's democracy. There's autocracy. There's uh, theocracy. But then, Paul uses this word in the New Testament very often when he talks about being content. And then he used, the word he used is a form of government or a form of governance. And that is called autarky. autarky So the way there is democracy, there is theocracy, there is also autarky And that form of government actually describes the economy of that government. And what that government actually means is what we always read in... 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Possessing enough to require no aid, no support. Possessing enough to require no aid, no support. It's a type of government where they are so wealthy, they are so rich, they don't need any external aid or support from the outside. They are self-sufficient. And that is what God uses to describe the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah the kingdom of God and so we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken more than enough, self-sufficiency we don't need anything from the, the kingdom of darkness, we don't need anything from the outskirts of the kingdom of, of God, from, from the outside the kingdom of God our sufficiency is in God's kingdom is in serving his will and his purpose Hallelujah. And he's the one that will sponsor his will in our lives. Hallelujah. So, as I'm singing this song, these are the thoughts that are coming to my mind. And I feel like even if it seems like there isn't enough around me, my mind is just glued to the circumstances. But as I sing, I am lifted, I'm ascending to the place, the thoughts of God that he is my sufficiency and i have what i need and require in him no aid nor support from the outside from within him hallelujah so we we don't have to be shaking we don't have to be fearless we don't have to follow the the lines and the dictates of the economy of this world we need to god must help us to think differently, to detach our minds from the the economy of this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today, I'm stirred to to bring a certain thought to you. These are not necessarily new things that you've heard, but I, I believe we need to be steeped in them. We need to be grounded in them. We need to be established in them. Because God's goal is to build you and I. God's goal is for us to rise to that place where we are grounded, we are steady, and we are built. For his glory. Hallelujah. And so I want us to look at a scripture in... Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. I believe if you can help us with the projection. The Bible says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works? Who, can you read it with me? He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Hallelujah. So God gave himself. God gave himself. He gave himself. He gave himself. And and that means to also get the best out of our circumstance and we need to give ourselves. We need to give ourselves to, to bring out the best. We need to give ourselves to it. And the Bible says, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. You see, so God was through Christ redeeming us from iniquity. Satan wasn't what he was concerned about. He wasn't purchasing you from Satan. You see, the the payment was not to Satan, but to God. You see, and he says that God gave himself to redeem us from all iniquity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that all transgression is sin. And, And he uses the same word here as iniquity. What he calls transgression is the same word he uses as iniquity here. And what that means is lawlessness. God redeemed us and bought us out of lawlessness. That means that when God made man to rule and dominate the earth, from, he was supposed to do that from the word of God, from the mouth of God. And God's words, I think we've looked at that that several times here, they are are decrees. You see, when God speaks, they are governing principles by which man was supposed to govern the earth. You see, but once man disobeyed, man stepped out of that jurisdiction into a state of lawlessness. So when we talk about sin, sin actually means to, to miss the mark. That means in God's eye, man, he had a certain target for man. You see, when they throw darts, they have this board there with a target, the the bull's eye, they call it in the middle. You see, and you are throwing the dart with the goal to hit the bull's eye. And when God made man in his image and likeness to have dominion on the earth, what the target was for man to use his word to govern, the governing principles of his word to govern the earth like he himself does so when man sinned what happened was that man deviated from those governing principles into a state of lawlessness a state where he himself couldn't be governed and therefore could not govern and the bible says that he gave himself to buy us back out of that state of lawlessness where now in buying us back we can now hit the target by using the governing principles of his word to rule and dominate as he intended, to hit that target, to meet that goal, you see. So when we talk about, in fact, even when we talk about the law, you know, the difference between the law and grace and all that, when you come into grace, you haven't stepped into a state of lawlessness. Just that you have you have moved from a law where it, that brings attention to your self-effort, which is futile because of your state of sin, into a place where you are governed by the law of the spirit of life. You are governed by the law of faith. You see, the, the law, when we talk about the law of faith, you are governing by the word of God. Those are the principles that you are ruling by. And the Bible says that God has brought us back out of that state into a state where we can now govern with his word. And then he goes on to say that, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. zealous of good works. Purify unto himself, cleanse unto himself, purge unto himself a peculiar people. Now, when we think of the word peculiar, what comes to our mind usually is something that is probably odd. You know, something that is odd, something that is unusual. But even though that that idea is being communicated here, are you following, please? Even though that idea is being communicated here, in the Greek, the word here used is very interesting because it literally is a combination of two words. That literally means that one means around, peri, and then to be. And what that means is that when he talks about a peculiar people, you are like a, a spot or a dot that has been encircled. You see, so you can, you can do it in your notebook. You can do a dot and then you can draw a circle around it. And that's what he, he's talking about when he talks about a peculiar people. A peculiar people. And what this means is that you have been circumscribed by God. What it means is that God now has the monopoly over you. You have been encircled by God. You you are now in a certain jurisdiction. When when you look at the dots in the circle, as if it is limited because of how you draw it, but when you think about the, the, the greatness and the immensity of God, that circle, nothing can contain that circle. You see? So when he says that you are a peculiar people, God has the monopoly over you because you are his possession. You are God's prized and very own possession. And that's what he means by he has purchased unto himself a peculiar people. Now, this is what God wanted to do with the children of Israel. So for example, when he brought them out of Egypt in Exodus 15, you see the Miriam and the woman sing a song and she makes reference to the fact that God bringing them out of Egypt had made them a people that have been purchased unto God. The same idea is carried in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says you are a peculiar people, a purchased people, a prized possession. So that means that we can't live unto ourselves. We we are not wise and smart enough to live unto ourselves. In Romans 14, the Bible says that whether we live or die, we die unto the Lord. He says, Whatever we do, whether you eat meat, you eat pork, or you eat leaves, whatever we are, don't don't judge anybody by their culture, but whatever you are, do it unto the Lord. He says, that that is the main factor. Do it unto the Lord. He says, Whether we live or we die, we die unto the Lord. That means your living is unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And even your death is unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is if Jesus tarries. Even your death should be unto the Lord. How you check out of this world should be unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says that precious in the sight of God are the death of his saints. So even how God's people die matters to him. When Moses got angry and mis- misrepresented God before the the israelites for that reason god said he wasn't going to see the promised land and you know what god did the bible says that his his natural force was not abated his eyes were not dim you know when he says it wasn't abated it means that his bones were not lacking moisture and you have arthritis because your bones lack moisture so at 120 years moses was fit even to the point that on the mountain that he was supposed to die, when he was going, the staff that he was holding, he gave it to Joshua. And then he climbed a mountain, feet high into the sky. He, At 120 years, he climbed it up there and he died of his own accord. Nobody killed him. So he says, whether you live, you live unto the Lord. Whether you die, you die unto the Lord. So Everything about our lives must be in the confines of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If it's not accepted in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, reject it. Even to the point that there were people that rejected deliverance because the Bible says that the world was not worthy of them. The people thought they were not worthy of them, but he said the world were not worthy of them. You know, so everything must be circumscribed by the Lordship of Jesus. Because we are his purchased possession. We are his prized possession. You see, so we can stand on this word and say that sickness will not own me. We can stand on this word and say that death will not own me. We can stand on this word and say that, you know, fear will not own me. Depression will not own me. Because you are not my Lord. I'm circumscribed in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, having predestined us unto the adoption of sons. You know, when we talk about predestination, it means pro-horizo. Bordered by the horizon. Bordered. So your life is bordered. If there is anything outside the circle, it shouldn't permeate to reach you. And these are things that we need to really stand firm and grounded in the word of God and ensure that that is the, the tangent and the direction of our lives. That if it is not co-signed by our Lord and Father, then it it has no place in my life. It will not lord it over me. Sin will not lord it over me. Death will not lord it over me. I will be free to do what I want to do, and the things that I don't want to do, I'll be free not to do it. Not the situation where you don't want to do it, but you find yourself doing it. No, we break of such rules, such such uh, autocratic rule against that we break out of it in the name of Jesus. Because we are circumscribed in him as a peculiar people, a people that are a prized possession of God. And you see, we need to really imbibe this truth because we live in a world where, based on, you know, maybe you were growing up, based on the things your your, your mother said to you, Based on the things your father said to you, you know, you you may not even know it or you may not be aware of it, but th- these are things you have carried with you for a long time, and it has affected your self-esteem and your self-image. You know, sometimes maybe you are you are you, you are you are embarking on a project that you really really believing, and then it is denied. You make a proposal and it is denied. You know, sometimes you live there very cool and quiet, but If you assess the kind of calibrations that are happening, you will know that there's a massive contention going on. You know, just Friday, I I was parked at a bus stop. And then a certain lady came, and she was like, are you working? Then I looked at her, and I said, no. And the reason why she's asking whether I'm working is because of the kind of car I'm using, (laughs) because She thinks that maybe it's an Uber or a boat. (laughs) And that's not the first time. In fact, one time at Pantine Junction, (laughs) the guy was in a four-wheel drive. He stopped right by me. There was a lady on the side, and the lady was going. So he asked me, Charlie, where are you going? (laughs) And as I sat there and I thought about it, eh, as harmless as that might seem, before you realize I'm going, I'm like, hey, Charlie, I have to change this (laughs) car. And... (laughs) It's like, "Ah, it's been too long. No, 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 no way. Eh? People are tagging me as Uber driver. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it's bad, but (laughs) I haven't taken that upon myself, (laughs) you know. But as harmless as that is, I I will go home thinking, you know, under so much weight and pressure, before then making calls, contacting people, trying to do things that God has no involvement in it. Just because somebody thinks that because of the car I'm driving, I'm doing a certain job or I'm doing something and I'm not comfortable with it. You know, so sometimes these are very, very subtle things. And you realize that like Pastor was saying, what is motivating you is not the kin- to change your car. It's not the kingdom of God that mo- is motivating you. It's because of what somebody saw and thought. And you are running your life by that. You know? Or maybe somebody will say a very hurtful word to you. And then it, it's it's so painful. It's like a dart, Like they've shot you. It's so painful. It's like you, as much as you try, the thing is, is latched on your mind. You, you can't take it off. And you feel like you are nasty. You feel like you are nothing. You feel like you are worthless. And the Bible says that he has purchased for himself a precious people. So Everything around us, everything in the world is trying to look down on you and make you feel small. And there's a reason why. Everything. So maybe you, you go into a certain meeting and then people are just talking around, talking as if they, they are not paying attention to you, they are not minding you. And you think it's normal. You are just waiting, waiting, wait. By the time they are now ready, you feel, you feel little before their eyes. You, you feel like you are small. You feel like you are nothing. You feel like because you didn't come with a four-wheel drive, they won't even listen to me. If you, but the Bible says that he has purified unto himself a precious people, because you didn't go in a in, in, in a in a Gucci or you know. I heard the man of God say that if the money I had, I, I was spending it on clothes, I shouldn't be walking on the ground. Like the, the the design the design of the dressing alone should cause him to be floating in the air. You know, and so sometimes because of the different levels and stages in which we are, some of these things very subtle. Maybe it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a, 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 a brother. And they said something to you. And up to, to date, you are in your 20s, you are 30s. And you don't realize that the, the, you are acting and behaving because of that thing that they said. Perhaps they said that you, nothing good will come out of you. And what is driving you, the reason why you are working hard, the reason why you want to be successful is because they said that nothing will come out of you. And that's the motivator. And you, you are just pushing yourself outside the circumscription of God. And so we, this is something we really, really need to pay particular attention to because God wants us to believe it. That like, I'm precious. I'm valuable to God. Who can estimate value more than God? You think about it. Who can estimate it more more than God? The things that are, you know, esteemed by men, the Bible says, are an abomination to God. So the things that impress men are not the things that impress God. And yet, those are the things that are driving us. Those are the things that are motivating us. You know, but God wants us to believe that we are a prized possession. We are a prized people we are very valuable and very cherished in his eyes very valuable and very cherished <laughs> in his eyes can we look at first peter chapter 2 maybe let's look at verse 6 first peter 2 verse 6 or let's let please let's look at verse 1 please verse 1 let's look at verse 1 something very powerful there. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. You know, he talks about a desire, a passion, a drive For the milk of the word. He said, if you have tasted of the goodness of God or you have tasted of the grace of God, desire the sincere milk of the word. And it's interesting, the word here is logikos, logikos, the word, you know. And what it actually is talking about is your reasoning, your logic. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, Your reasonable sacrifice is your body. That's the same word. Your reasonable sacrifice. So the sincere milk that makes you actually reasonable. The word of God makes you reasonable. Now you think in terms of the word. You think in line of the word. Your reasoning is the word of God. He says that is how you grow. So your growth has a lot to do with what the word of God does to your way of thinking. You see, and that's why he says that we should put aside all naughtiness and superfluity in James 1. And he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word engrafted means the implanted word, which is able to save the implant. So it's not just the word lying around. It's not just the word you heard somebody say. It is the word that is planted and sown. That is the one that is able to save your soul save how you are feeling, save how you are thinking, and even save the things that you will choose or decide on. The logic of the word is how you grow. The, 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 the engrafted, the implanted word. You see, the Bible, in 1 Peter 1, the Bible says that the end of faith is the salvation of the soul. The goal of faith is that your soul will be saved. Because your spirit is saved, but your soul is being saved. And the goal of that salvation, the goal of the word is the salvation of your soul, your reasoning, your logic. What is logical to you? You see, so for for Jesus, for example, what was reasonable to him when they said that there is no bread, we are in a desert? What was reasonable to him was that the little that we have, we will lift it up and give thanks. That, That was his reasoning. You see. So if maybe you, today, you you they paid you uh, your, your monthly salary or they gave you something, you feel like it's, it's small. The way you grow out of it is reasoning that even though this is small, I can lift it up to him and say, thank you. And as I see the value of this thing, I can cause it to grow. I can cause it to increase. You see, he didn't act like that by accident. He had to, it, it was his reasoning. Even though Jesus was the word of God, because he came as a man, he was the word of God, he knew the word, because he came as a man, he had to actually study the word of God. He had to learn it, as if he didn't know it, as if he wasn't the word, yet he was the word, and yet he had to learn it. You see, when he was in the temptation, all the scriptures he was quoting in Deuteronomy 8, they were things that he had learned from his youth, he had learned them. So what, what do you seek to do with the Word of God is to change the way you are reasoning, the line of thought, the line of thinking. Hallelujah. All right. If I dwell here, we'll, we'll, we'll spend too much time. So let's move to verse 6, please. Verse 6. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Wherefore, also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, or he that believes in him shall not be put to shame. When you read the previous verses, he said this is the, the cornerstone that David was talking about in the book of Psalms 118. And he says, when that stone came, it was rejected by men. They examined that stone, and then they rejected that stone. And so one of, one of the things that seek to attack our value and estimation of ourselves is rejection. I don't know if you've tried to preach some, to somebody and you felt like, I, I have what will help you. I have what will save you. And the person just dragged you like a dirty mat on the floor like that. And just went away. And then you are You don't even feel like talking to anybody again. You don't feel like doing, because of the rejection. But the Bible has given us a pattern, an example, that Jesus was rejected of men. The most valuable one was rejected of men. When I saw this thing, I, I said, I, I'm liberated. <laughs> no amount of rejection will make me feel little. Even if I'm rejected, it doesn't mean that I'm not precious. Because the Bible says that the stone, the elect, which is precious, yet it was rejected. So if you are denied and rejected, that doesn't mean you are not valuable per se. You see? That doesn't mean you are not valuable. Because he likens us to the same stone, the living stone. And He says, he that believes in him will not be confounded or will not be put to shame. In this part of the scripture... He was trying to tell us that just as Christ is the foundation stone we are living stones that are being built up on this foundation stone. And what that means is that we have now we partake of that same lot. We are part of that same building. And he says that he that believes in him will not be put to shame. The same way Jesus Christ will not be put to shame, you too you can determine that Lord, even though I have been rejected, even though they've bounced me, even though I have been denied, I will not be put to shame. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In fact, before that, he said that, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So even though he talked about Adam, sorry, Adam, because of his fall, he wasn't included in the list. But he talks about Abel, talks about Moses, Enoch, Abraham, and all those people, he says that, look, don't look at them all. Paul was painting a picture here of people that are running on a track and in a stadium. And he says that, whilst you are in that stadium, there are people that are surrounding you. So in your walk of faith, you think that you are by yourself, but people are actually monitoring you. People are actually watching to see whether you make it or not. Because your success will either make them join you in the race, or they will also stay, <laughs> they will stay on the sidelines. So, he says that even though there are people, many people surrounding you, there are people that are observing, there are people that are saying, you know, gain saying, people that are saying things that will deter you, he says, don't fix your gaze on them, because imagine a runner running a race, and then instead of looking at the finish line, he's now looking at the, the spectators, you, you will be disoriented, but then he says that, shift your gaze from all of those people on the, on the sidelines and fix it onto Jesus, the author, the, the word author means he's the chief leader. The chief leader. Isn't that amazing? He said he's the chief leader and the finisher of our faith. Even though Abel came before Jesus, if you would, physically. Even though Abraham came before Jesus. Even though Moses came before Jesus. He says, those were not the leaders of the faith, Oh, He says, Jesus is the chief leader of the faith. That means, way back, Abel. Way back, Enoch, way back, Abraham, they were all looking, what was driving them to win the race was Jesus that they were seeing ahead of them. That was what was driving, that's why the Bible talks about how that Moses in the reproach of Christ, they saw, they saw Jesus. God gave them light and revelation to see him. So even before he came, he was the one motivating them. In the race of faith. He was the one motivating them. And he says, now that we have come on the scene, we shouldn't look at anybody. You, you don't even have to, even though they might inspire, he said, look on to Jesus. He says, the chief leader and the finisher. He has finished the race and he's on the sidelines. He has given you everything you require to also make it at the end. He says, look at his example. Who for the joy that was set before him. And, and this is very interesting. Let me point this. When it says who for, the word for there, interestingly, in the Greek for could be gar, which means because, or "hooper," which means on behalf of, for someone. But here the word is anti, A-N-T-I, for, who for the joy. What anti means, like we know antichrist, right? We know (laughs) antivirus. What anti actually means is against or instead of, or in the place of. Instead of or in the place of. So what this scripture is actually talking about is not the glory that was ahead of Jesus Christ. But he was talking about his pre-incarnate glory. He says, who instead of the glory that he was enjoying in the Father's bosom. Instead of that, he stepped out of it to become a man. He says, the joy was laid before him. Instead of that, wound, he stepped out of it because he was talking to a people who were being tempted to go back to the First Testament or the Old Testament where they would go to the temple and offer sacrifices, bulls and goats, even though Jesus is the sacrifice and our high priest. So they were being tempted because the persecution was too much. They were being ostracized. So he said that, no, instead, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus was, they were, you remember the Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 6 that even the, the priests were obedient to the faith. Do you know that, what that means? It means that the priests were the ones who were bringing the first fruits and their tithes to. So if they are obedient to the faith, that means all the first fruits and they are leaving it to now go and serve Jesus. That's how deadly that scripture is. They said they, even those people were obedient to the faith. So they were, they were, they were enjoying some privileges because they were associated with Judaism. But he said, no, Once that you are, now that you have come to Christ, it's like you have stepped down from that place and into a place where now you'll be secluded, you'll be ostracized. People will look down on you. And he says, we should look onto that. And that means that because of our faith, there are things that we'll step out of, that will make us look unreasonable. There are things that we'll walk out of. You know? So may- maybe you are coming from an Islamic background or Judaism or Buddhism, And because believing in Christ, you are going to be rejected by your family. They won't take care of you again. They won't fend for you again. He says that, look to the example of Jesus. When Jesus was praying in John 17, he said, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you from the beginning. But he stepped out of that into the highest form of humiliation. He says, instead of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Instead of that, he didn't have to come. He didn't have to turn into a man, but he came. And he said, despising, that means he thought little of the shame. He despised, he was being, It, it was legit shame. He was naked on the cross. Think about it. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was naked on the cross. Everything was bare. But the Bible says he despised the shame. That means he ridiculed the shame. He looked at the shame and said, it is shame, but you are nothing. He he was laughing at the shame. It is only a person whose reasoning has been affected by the word of God that can ridicule the shame, can despise it. And that's why you see men like Paul say that, you know, after you have, Peter said, after you have suffered a little while, he says your light affliction, which is but for a moment. God had taught them to, to esteem them as little and light. Looking at the example of Jesus Christ. He says he despised the shame. So it's disgraceful. No, we are not denying that it's shameful. We are not denying that it's disgraceful. We are not denying that in your family, they are looking at you as the least. But he says he despised it. He taught it as a thing that was little. And as we all know it, God had shadowed glory ahead of him. Like Jesus had prayed, glorify me with the glory which I had. with God glorified him. And in glorifying him, he took us all along. Oh, glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Sets down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. This is what God does. He takes people from the hill. the Bible says. And he sets them among princes. And so we need to see ourselves as precious. Precious and valuable. Precious and valuable. Paul told the church, he said, you are our crown and our rejoicing. Do you know what that means? As ministers of God. You, you, the people we are feeding, pastor is pastoring us. We are his crown and rejoicing. That's what Paul said. That means your, your success will determine the crown of Paul. How glorified he will be. Your success will determine. He said, you are our crown and our rejoicing. And that's why he says, watch how you build. Take heed how you build the people. He was talking about people and he was likening them to building. He said, watch how you build them. Some are building with gold. Some are building with precious stones. Some are building with silver. Others too with wood and with hay. You know, the Roman Empire, they thought in terms of longevity. So even today, you see relics of uh, the Colosseum and things like that in Rome because of the stones they built it with. They were looking at longevity. You see, so for many years, you can still see relics because they were stones. You see, so when the Bible says that of what sort, he talks about gold, silver, and stones, precious stones. He's not talking about rubies and those gems and topaz and all those things. He's talking about granite, stones that were used for building. And the Bible says you are lively stones. That means you are meant to endure. You are meant to endure. One time, like like you know it in church history, there was fire all over Rome. And there were the, the slaves that were there, their houses, their roofs were dried leaves. They lied on, you know, kete the way they used shrubs to do it. That was that was because of their poverty, that was how they built their structures. And once there is fire, everything is gone. Everything is gone. But with the stones, the, the only thing you might see is the dark traces of smoke on it. They still endured till this day. And so, God is building you to outlast difficulties, to outlast persecutions, to outlast, you know, insults, to outlast shame. He's building you to outlast all those things. He has longevity in mind for you. So, nothing will kill you. We won't go before our time in the name of Jesus. When you think about it, you say, like, devil, whether you like it or not, I'm staying here for a long time. I heard a testimony of a woman. She she had, she had suffered a certain condition for so long, been in the hospital, and then she couldn't even walk. And then they went to visit her. But it was so dire that she should die, but she wasn't dying. And then the men of God went to visit her and said that, look, before this happened, you have spoken words of life into the atmosphere, sir, and you've said it several times. He says, because of those words, you can't even die. You should die, but you can't die. You can't die. You know, so we are not subject to situations and circumstances. We despise the shame. We despise it. It's small. It's small. It's small. And you are are sitting there. Nobody knows what you are going through. and You are saying it's small. They don't understand. You are saying it's small. It's small. It's small. Then you laugh small. Then you say it's small. It's small. Then you are laughing small. It's small. It's small. It's small. It's small. I am despising. I am looking at Jesus. Who? The stone that was rejected. Yet he was precious. I am rejected but I am precious. They did not accept my proposal but I am precious. They did not accept me in that school but I am precious. In the name of Jesus. And I I will stand the test of time. The reason God is building us is because he knows that there will be trials. There will be heat. You know, but he he says that I'm building a kind of people that can stand in it. No matter the situation, no matter the state, you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to stand. And that's why we need to grow up here. Our reasoning must come to that, shift to that place where I'm not going down. I'm not going down. I'll be here for a long time. You know, the devil is very persistent, but we need to do his persistence. He says, no matter what you do, I'll be here for a long, long, my, a mighty long time. My business will be here for a mighty long time. shakaya, It will be here for a very, very, very long time. No. They have diagnosed me with what? No way. I despise it. I look down on it. I look down on it. I'm seated above you. I look down on you in the name of Jesus. It says, despise and the shame. Can we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, please, verse 7. Oh, he says, unto you, therefore, which believe is he. In the King James, it says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. But when you look at the revised version and the amplified version, it says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is the preciousness. Or unto you, therefore, which believe is the preciousness unto you that believe. If you have the revised version or the amplified version here, he says, unto you that believe is the preciousness. What he's saying is that just like you have been integrated into Christ as a stone, the same value and preciousness the Father ascribes to him is the same one he ascribes to you. So he has imputed the preciousness of Jesus unto you such that the same way God loves Jesus is the exact same way he loves you. And he says, unto you, is the preciousness. And he says, but unto them which are disobed- disobedient or unpersuaded, he says, the stone, the stone which the builders disallowed, the stone that they rejected, the same is made the head of the corner. So you might be disallowed. You might be rejected. But you are climbing up. You are climbing up to be the head. You are, cl- you are looking at the example of Jesus. You are climbing up. We are looking unto him. On this race, we are climbing up. We are climbing up. You know what Paul said? He said, you know your calling. How that not many, oh Jesus. He says, not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. That's amazing. When the Bible talks about nobility, the eugenics. That means those who are of good birth. They were born well if you look at if you trace their family tree they were born well you know like the word eugen it means you have good genes you were born well these are aristocrats when you see the family from where they are coming from you you know that they have to succeed (laughs) in your definition of success you know those who are coming from royal lineage royal families those are the people he was talking about as the no. He said, not many. God has room for them. But because of their self, you know, trust and belief, there is very li- little room for them. He says, not many. Very few. People like Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, who were looking for the kingdom. Very few of such people. So there is room for them. But he said, not many. He said, the, the, not many of the noble. But he said, he has called you to confound the wise. Those who are intelligent, he has caught you. Ah, Jesus. What he's saying here is that even though you are not from an aristocrat, aristocracy, from a royal line, God can pick you, call you out of a place of insignificance and use you to to confuse people who are learned. People who should be making it. Like, he's using you to confuse. They can't wrap their heads around it. They can't wrap their heads around it they can't wrap their heads around it he says to confound their wife it's like ah, when we look at it when we think where you are coming from you shouldn't get here oh there is no room for you for it in this place there is no place for you look at where that that village bunch said that you are coming from you should remain down there but it's like ah he's even his english his accent it's like you know that one time they said that how come this man knows letters They looked at Jesus, they they, they were expecting him to be in their class. I mean, they went to the synagogue, they went to the best school. They said, "Ah, how come this man is teaching amazing things and he doesn't know letters? The Bible says they looked at it and they perceived that they were ignorant. That means they were, excuse me to say, morons. The the word word foolishness actually in 1 Corinthians 2 is morons. It's like you you were dunce. You are, excuse me to say dumb, you are daft. But it's like, ah, you know the Holy Ghost can work on you in such a way that back then you weren't that smart, but you don't know. As you started meditating in the Word, as you started praying, you you just don't know, like, your memory, something has happened to your memory. Like, something has happened. Something. Something. Thank you, Jesus. God is trying to help our, our confidence. Because we need it. We need it. In a hostile and volatile world. We need it. You know that that's that's how God plans to govern the earth with his kingdom. When you read Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. In verse 44, he talks about a man that sold everything he had to buy a treasure in a field. He bought the whole world to buy the treasure in the field. But that, that actually is talking about the Israelites. Because one time, one day, even though they rejected, in fact, in Romans 11, Paul said that all of Israel will be saved. Even though they rejected him, he still sees them as a treasure. He has a, a plan and purpose for them. So we, we don't have to despise them. That's what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 9 through to chapter 11. But when you go down to verse 45, can you go to verse 45? He says the kingdom of heaven, again, the kingdom of heaven, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, simply put, he's saying the reign and rule of God in the heavens coming down on earth. You see, governing the earth so that the earth becomes a reflection of heaven. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Can you imagine? And this particular one when he talks about the pearl, the treasures he's referring to Israel, but the pearl he's particularly referring to the church. He said he sold everything he had to buy us. He sold everything. You know, that, that's why we have to give our all. He sold everything to buy us. And there's a mystery about pearls. The way pearls are formed, like scientists tell us, there, there is an irritant that actually goes into the mollusk or the shell. You know, some believe it's actually sometimes a grain of sand, but there's an irritant that goes into it. And what happens is that when the irritant goes into it, there is a reaction that takes place. It begins to secrete certain liquids. You see, and that liquid now crystallizes and builds over time and it forms what we see as a precious spell. And it's very rare. But the interesting thing is that what happens when that, that irritant enters in is that it's, it's as though it's, it's, it is causing the, the oyster to bleed. It hits it and it's causing the oyster to bleed. See, he hits it and is causing the oyster to bleed. And that is just, Jesus used this analogy just to show us how he, he got us. That just like that irritant, that thing, he became man because of our sin, because of our deviation, because of our fall. And when he became man, he now had to, because of our own sin, he had to bleed. So that secretion had to take place. That liquid of his blood had to be poured out. And he said, what came out of that outpouring? was a formation of a pearl, which he calls the church. And he said he gave everything he had that he might acquire this pearl. And he says, this is how the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, he was going to rule and govern the earth with this pearl, with this valuable thing. That's how I'm, going, that's how I'm bringing my heavenly reign, my heavenly rule and governance. I'm bringing it down and super, imposing it on men. And that's when people that have been discounted, people that have been rejected, people that have been looked upon are formed as crystals. They are formed as precious pearls. They are formed as something valuable. The only thing that can bite them is the blood of Jesus. I think our time is up. term is that but i i i i believe that the holy spirit was in on my heart that actually because this is how the kingdom of heaven is like he wants us to change our reasoning and our thinking and that that is why he beckons on us to desire the sincere milk of the of the reasoning of god to imbibe his reasoning so that in in entering certain spaces, in certain spheres, you are entering there and you are seeing yourself as a pearl. Even though you are not wearing the best clothes, even though you are not driving the best of cars, you are going to govern there as a pearl. As a pearl. As a pearl. Even though Joseph was put in prison, you know, he, he had nothing, but he had something that was more valuable, more precious, that could bring him out of that dungeon, that pit. Into a place of power and authority. So the Holy Spirit is healing us from any form of lack of confidence, any issue of self esteem, anything that makes us look down on on ourselves and think that we don't have what it takes. No. He's healing us. He's healing us. He's healing us. Because if you, if what it will require to rule and dominate the spaces that God is envisioning for you. If we we don't equip ourselves with these truths, you will just go there and you malfunction. You will be jittery. You you, you, will be be, you will not be at ease. You see, but he says, this is how my kingdom is. This is how the reign of heaven on earth is says they are like precious pearls. They are like precious pearls. Precious pearls. Precious pearls. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost. We are precious. God wants us to lift up any hand that is hanging loose. Any knee that is feeble. He wants us to just get back on our feet. Any head that is hanging low. He wants us to lift it up. and say, Lord, I can do it. I have what it takes. I won't look down on myself. No, 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 no. They might call you to speak in in front of people. And when you look at the people you are speaking to, they should be talking to you. But it's not by mistake. It's not by mistake. It's not by mistake. It's not by mistake. You are a pearl. You are a pearl. a pearl. You are a precious pearl. You are a precious pearl. You are a precious pearl. You know, Jesus said something. He said, you don't give holy things to dogs. Neither do you cast pearls before swine. If Jesus is instructing us not to do that, he himself won't do it. God won't do it. So maybe there are places where you have been despised for too long. The Holy Ghost is arranging your exit into a place where, you will be accept- where your value will be seen. He's arranging you. He's picking you and rearranging you. He's doing that. Jesus didn't stay at places where he wasn't accepted. When he told them that, look, the the scripture is fulfilled in your ears, I'm the anointed one to bring this deliverance. The Bible said, How can you be this one who is coming to deliver us? How can you be the Messiah? But we know you. Your father is Joseph. Your mother is Mary. We know you. How can you say you are the Messiah? in fact they said that when the Messiah comes we won't know where he's from that's such a lie the Bible said in Micah 5 that he will come from Bethlehem it says in the Sea of Galilee he gave descriptions of where he will even be doing. so they were pushing him to the end of the cliff and the Bible says that he going his way he went through the mist, and God is going to orchestrate such movements That you've been pushed to your limit. But you turn and there is a way in their midst. A way in their midst. Jesus. And he moved. And he stationed in Carpignol. He stationed there. He said when you go and you preach the the gospel of the kingdom. And they don't accept it. He says, shake your dust. Shake it off your feet. They are not worthy of it. So there are places we've been at. I believe the Holy Ghost is repositioning us. Places you've been despised. Places you've been looked down on. Places you've been rejected. Even though you are a precious stone. God is picking you and is placing you. He won't leave you at a place where pigs will trample you under feet. No. No. That is not your place. The place God has given you is that your enemy, his enemies will be under your feet. Not they trampling under your feet. So that shifting is taking place.